This is Tony Pope, live from L.A., Cynthia Pier. The psycho vigilante killer continues his daily diet for murder. Bodies strung out, bodies with the skins ripped off, the hearts torn from the cadavers. And just recently, King Willie, the drug lord, the vicious drug lord found in an alley just around the corner with his head cut off and his spinal column torn from the body, a fitting demise to the Prince of Powder. Welcome to Double Impact, the podcast where we double back on the movies that impacted us growing up as 90s kids and decide whether they hold up today or best left in the past. I'm Tristan. And I'm Greg. Hey, uh, long time no see. Yeah. Greg lost his voice last week. So yeah, we're recording two in one night again. This is the first of two. I mean, this obviously they're coming out week after week, but it's a long way of me saying prepare for drunk Tristan on the, on the next oh, the week's next episode. One. Yeah, and next week's episode. <laughs> Time is a time is an amazing thing, as we discussed uh, with Christopher Nolan, or on his behalf, exactly um, a few mm. weeks ago. Mm. So, is this our the last of our sequel September? Sequel September, yes, it is the last one. Um, and actually, everything I just said was a lie because it's not even next week's episode. Because next week we have a special episode, special with, uh, episode, with Petros from the Caged In slash Coppola Connections pod. And uh, he'll be joining us for a, a movie of his choosing, which strangely enough is not Coppola or Cage related. Yeah. Rookie of the Year. Rookie of the Year. Is that that baseball one with the kid that breaks his arm? Yeah. Yeah. Ah, oh, there you go. And, and Petros will be playing the character of Greg in this upcoming episode because Greg's going to be in Singapore. I am. I'm going to be eating food and sweating which is what I do in Singapore. Yeah. Oh, it's good. You should get like a, a a little cloth to wipe your forehead as you eat, oh, like a like little. a bad guy. And do I say, Lordy, <laughs> Lordy, 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 it's hotter than the Dickens. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what does that mean? Yeah. I don't know, but it's great. This is perfect. I feel like your character is now fully realized. I thought you were going to suggest um, getting a hat with a fan in it. <laughs> you went in a different direction. <laughs> You can get that too. <laughs> the face towel people are always the next to die in a movie. <laughs> I'm picturing like Newman in. Because Predator sees them as alphas, is that why? Probably, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> One to take down. Um, so this week, Predator 2. Next week, Rookie of the Year. Featuring Petros. And the week after that, which is the second episode we're recording tonight, Time is a Flat Circle, that we can manipulate... <laughs> <laughs> will be the first of our Halloween miniseries. Woo! Second annual Spooktacular. Ooh, ooh, we'll be doing the Blair Witch Project. So there you have it. Blair Witch Project. And then we'll do some horror movies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Spoiler alert. <laughs> it's not that scary. It's, ah, man. Yeah, um, we'll, I guess we'll talk about it in three weeks. <laughs> but, yeah, ah, yeah. damn. Um, but today we are talking about Predator 2. I know a few of you guys out yeah. there are pretty excited about this. As are we. Yeah, there was a bit of love for old Pretty Duh. Pretty Duh. Yeah. You did there? Uh, I see you did there. Yeah, that's good. Wow. From 1990, no less. Yeah. The first inaugural year of the 90s, some might say. Yeah. <laughs> they might. So 1990, a little, uh, a little stat for you music aficionados out there. The tambourine was invented. The tambourine was invented. No, it was the first rap single to ever reach number one in the US. And we know what that was. 
Tristan. What was it? It was Ice Ice Baby. Oh, no way. Yeah. Wow. Performed by Robert Van Winkle, a.k.a. Vanilla Ice. And listen, I sit back with my brand new invention. Something grabs a hold of me tightly, flow like a harpoon daily and nightly. Will it ever stop? Yo, I don't know. Turn off the lights and I'll glow to the extreme. I rock a mic like a vandal, light up a stage and wax a chump like a candle. I saw an interview with him recently on TikTok. Oh, yeah, and he's seems like a lovely fellow. He um, talked about how he involuntarily ended up funding Death Row Records and basically has this dotted line legacy of all this great music that was made off the money that Suge took from him. Oh, there you go. <laughs> yeah, he, t- he talks about it pretty light. Like he's, he's like, well, at least that's something great that came out of it, like all this great music, yada, yada, yada. Like he's not, he's not being a jerk about it. And he acknowledges, you know, his limited impact from a – Musical sense. <laughs> did he um, Did he finish it with uh, So You're Welcome? He should have. Word to your mother. <laughs> well, you, I must admit, whilst he, you describe his um, humility, I would, uh, that's newfound humility, Tristan. Yeah. Now, that'll happen to you. Let's just talk about some <laughs> of the things he borrowed for this song. Probably most well known, the, the, the opening riff. He's pretty clearly under pressure. Pressure, pushing down on me, pressing down on you. No man has fallen. Now he, at the time, argued that oh no, but mine has uh, mine's in a G key, G chord of G. What do you call it again? In the in the key. Key. Thank you. Key of G. I knew there was a k word in music that was escaping me, but he did. There was no accreditation at for, at the time. Not even a not even acknowledgement. That's crazy. A music genre partially defined by the power of sampling, first number one ever of that genre, and he denies an extremely obvious sample. Like just embrace. I mean, I know why he denied it. I guess because he didn't pay them. But fuck, it's so weird. Well, he, it's so obvious. <laughs> like it's <laughs> he also. I know it's it's the beginning of both the songs. It's not even. <laughs> it's not like those beautiful To the point where you don't know which one it's going to be <laughs> yeah. And that comes on and then You don't it, know which then, one it's going to be And then he says yo VIP and you change the station <laughs> But he also claimed while, he, while he's claiming like, You're welcome for death row He also says well I also was the first one to go public Using a sample which all rappers do now So you're welcome Wait he kind of have it both ways Van Winkle <laughs> Wait, so he says that now, yeah, retrospectively. Well, that's just not true either. <laughs> what publicly? Well, in mainstream, perhaps. Yeah, and apparently, "Ice Ice Baby" right. is like the signature chant for the um, Alpha Phi Alpha, which is the national um, African American like fraternity, the main one. Ah, well, my best known one. I don't Interesting. Know. Um, so that yeah, they took that too. Took it all. And then Shug took it all back. <laughs> yeah. Just shook the coins out of his pockets. Reparations. <laughs> yeah. Did, he fully did that, right? He grabbed him by the ankles and hung him over a balcony I or believe something. so. That's as the legend goes. And I, I'm, I think. I may be embellishing the ankles. Pretty sure I heard that from a, a Vanilla Ice interview as well. He's like, yeah, no, that's true. He hung me over a balcony by my legs. <laughs> that's pretty. That's fucked up. Uh, 
Uh, Sugar Honey Ice Tea. Scary man. So, uh, yeah, that was a big song. You know, Snoop Snoop has bought Tethro Records now. Oh. And he's just signed Mace. Ah. He's finally going to scratch his name on that blimp. Or, yeah. yeah. <laughs> the same old pimp. Mace, you know ain't nothing changed but my limp. Can't stop till I see my name on the blimp. Guarantee me yourself. Why are you scratching your name on a blimp? <laughs> bet you didn't know anyone, but you know me now. I don't know you now, Mace. I don't know you. What happened to Mace? Well, I think he became a pastor. Oh, good for him. Like a rigatoni or something. Mm. But he, um, he, he, I guess he's back because, yeah, he's signed. Everything that's old is new again. Interesting. Yeah. Interesting. That's very interesting. I didn't know that. I'm going to go and find some Mace after this. Yeah, absolutely. Um, wow, what a year. Yeah, big year for, for, for commercial rap. Maybe bad year for it's funny because then, the, and then the first, the first rap Grammy went to Will Smith. Mm. They really had to for, for getting jiggy really with it. Dip their toe in. They really, yeah. Oh, for um, Boom Shake the Room. Oh, or or, what, or that album. I may not have been. That was a pretty cool. Okay. That was a pretty must cool have been song that song. Time. I thought he was. That was a fucking great song. I was obsessed. Man, he was cool. Anyway. All right, let's get into it. Hey, good year, good well, bad year for music, I suppose, but interesting year for music in other ways. Mm. Uh, hey, big year for movies also. <laughs> yeah. It's a year of sequels in many ways. Back to the Future 3 came out in 1990. Three Men and a Little Lady. <laughs> Robocop 2, Gremlins 2, oh. Rocky 5, two. Child's Play 2. We could have just done this year for sequel September. <laughs> we absolutely could have. Damn. God damn. But it wasn't just sequel. Oh, Die Hard 2. What? Maybe it was just sequels. Yeah. That's crazy. That is pretty crazy, man. We literally could have done a whole thing on 1990 sequels. Yeah. Pretty Woman 2, Prettier Woman. That's not true. You made that just one Pretty up, Woman. Yeah. I made that one up. It was the year of Ghost, the film that made Greg cry. It was, <sighs> it was the year of Home Alone. Many things. These are uh, all Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Many things. Oh. Kindergarten Cub. No wonder the music was lacking. They were too busy making movies. <laughs> exactly. But there was a film, Greg. Yeah, go on. Came out in uh, 1990. Coming in all the way at number 22 for the year, globally speaking, of course. Mm, repeater. A film about a hunter, a, a predator, as it were. Mm. And, then the, and the second one, um, titled Predator 2. Predator 2 came out in November of 1990. Budget of $30 million, gross box office of $57.1 million. So not huge a box office disappointment, mm. um, many would say. And a critical disappointment, many critics would say. Mm. Rotten Tomatoes uh, critic score is 31%, audience score of 44%. Mm. Both very low. Interesting. Which I guess is what I kind of expected 
I mean, we'll get into it a bit more, but uh, I think as we've been doing these films, I've really been starting to think that this might be a a movie I really like. Ah. Anyway, um, well, actually, speaking of, what's your history with this film? Was this a big one for you? Yeah, so this movie uh, I had seen, but I couldn't really remember. I if mm. I I could only remember the bodies hanging up in the apart in the fancy drug dealer's um, penthouse. Oh yeah, and I thought that was the opening yeah. scene of the movie. That was my little sort of Mandela. Yeah, and then I couldn't remember much else of it other than it had Danny Glover and it was quite dark and gritty. That was it. It used to be on TV late at night quite a bit. I think it used to get the sort of 10.30 slot on 7, 9 or 10. When was the last time you reckon you watched it? Oh, man, I was trying to work that out. And, like, it's probably in the 90s, I would say. Interesting. What about you? Uh, I think I watched this maybe within the last 10 years. Well, okay. I guess rewind further. I saw it at Jono's house, of course, back in the day. But I must yep. have only seen bits. Like, that might have been one of the ones where I just – Walked in and he's already watching it. I, I just remember the, which I guess now I've learned is Gary Busey's death um, with the, the old Frisbee. Oh, yeah. Frisbee Didn't slice. Yeah. Neither did Gary. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then I think I just always thought it was the shit one, so never really watched it the way I would watch Predator 1. And then I think I watched it, yes, at some point in the last 10 years and still didn't think much of it. To be honest with you, but okay, um, but that was pre-pod and, and pre a lot of things, and I think my palate has changed a lot, maybe because of the podcast. And I think even re- doing Predator One on the I podcast so. made me think a little differently about the franchise and things. And and uh huh, yeah. I mean, we'll get into all that stuff. But I, I was, I was, it, it was very due for a rewatch because I was thinking, like, I think yeah. I might like it now. Like, I don't know, I. I, I think about what it is on paper and that all sounds good to me. So I was very keen for this rewatch. Yeah. And I think, yeah, maybe with Prey coming out, it's made me reflect a bit more too about what. I think what, that's part of it. Yeah, yeah. And um, so I'm sure we'll touch on that too. But, um, yeah, is Predator 2 actually awesome? We'll find out after these messages. Fresh baked bread. Piled with extra lean, juicy ham. Oven-roasted turkey breast, topped with a classic taste of... Pardon me, would you have any Grey Poupon? But of course. Introducing Subway's new turkey and ham Dijon. Turkey, ham, and the great taste of Grey Poupon mustard. Now for a limited time on your choice of rolls. At Subway, the place where fresh is the taste. Welcome back. Should I get into the origin story? (laughs) Please. Origin story. So it is a sequel, so I'll do a brief recap of the OG story from the OG film. And um, that was a tale of Jim and John. Jim and John Thomas, first-time writers. They had an idea for a script they originally called Hunter. Mm. And it was sparked off a joke, a joke at the time, because Rocky Four had just come out. And, and the, uh, you know, the banter around the water cooler at the time was like, what's next? What's Rocky going to fight next? An alien? And they thought, aha. Uh-huh. Interesting. Wow. And uh, they thought, okay, that's interesting. And then they had, I mean, 
you can go back and listen to that episode for the full story. But that, that was the genesis of it. And then they thought about, you know, the idea of hunting and if there was a hunter from another planet, what would they be hunting? What's the most dangerous creature on earth? It's humans. And what's the, what's the most dangerous kind of human? Combat soldiers slash Arnold Schwarzenegger. Mm. And Bish Bash Bosh, he got Predator 1. Um, produced by Joel Silver, directed by John McTiernan, mm. um, the master of of postmodern action with, with Predator, Die Hard, the last action hero. All of the above, you know, he's all over this shit. A mm. hundred million dollars later, they thought that maybe they should make a sequel. That's how it works. So the studio approaches Jim and Jim and John one more time and says, let's do it again. And apparently they came back with six different ideas. Ooh. I couldn't find them all. I only came back. Got a couple? Yeah, I got a couple. Well, the, one was the urban, the urban jungle, which is what we ended up with. Mm. Um, there was also the idea of setting it in World War Two, which is which is pretty cool. Okay. I think they should still do I'm, that. I'm down for that. That's, yeah, they still could do that. One of them said, uh, "We also had the idea about doing World War Two version um, in the Battle of Bulge, Bulge. It's yeah. probably pronounced differently. <laughs> in the middle of winter, Battle of the Bulge, <laughs> Battle of the Bulge." Um, a German foot platoon and an American platoon separated and had a, a stalemate fighting each other off when a predator shows up. They have to join together to defeat it and we thought the snow predator effect would be quite different. Mm. Um, I think the reason they didn't end up doing that is because they didn't really want to. The idea of the Nazis having to team up with the Americans I think was kind of no bueno. That's a like, negative. Yeah, we can't really make the Nazis good guys. It's pretty hard. No, to, yeah. I mean – <sighs> At no point is that an option. Yeah, it's tough. <laughs> yeah. I think there's probably a way to do it. Like if you take the lens that, you know, the soldiers are just people, but I don't know. Nazis is pretty out there, man. I reckon, yeah, I <laughs> if it, maybe it's a different war. Something best left alone. Yeah, maybe a different war yeah, or maybe something a different you could war. do. Yeah, like Vietnam or something. I don't yeah. know. Um, and... I don't know if all these ideas are mutually exclusive, but um, these these are the fragments I managed to pick up. So some of these may stack together or maybe not. But another component was potentially Arnie coming back with some salvaged Predator tech from the first movie as being, you know, an ingredient. Um, but that's all I could kind of find other than it was supposed to be set in New York. Um, uh-huh. But, yeah, ultimately the, the urban jungle idea kind of won Add to that heat wave, gang wars, you got yourself a picture. Um, a lot going on. Yeah, the script was written in six weeks with the goal to expand Predator's, Predator's goals and motives, um, which is, yeah, not a bad goal. So the, expand the lore a little bit, yeah. which, I, which I quite like. Build out that universe. Yeah. And, it, I mean, it was written with Arnold in mind too, but they couldn't get him. Yeah. Because he was busy making Terminator 2, which in retrospect I would say is a beautiful constraint because for reasons that we'll get into, I think it's it's great that he's not in it because it gives it an opportunity to be something else. Yeah. It's not about him. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's called Predator, not Dutch. You son of a bitch. You know? mm. Mm. Uh, notably set in 1997 but made in 1990. We love when it's just, just slightly in the future, <laughs> like Demolition Man, like the opening of Gen- Demolition Man. Oh, yeah, the slight future. Um, and, yeah, Joel Silver brings in a director by the name of Stephen Hopkins 
who directed uh, Nightmare on Elm Street 5, The Dream Child. Oh, yeah. Who turns out to be an Australian. Oh. I was watching, um, I was watching The Making Of. And this Australian guy kept talking. And at first I thought it was like a stunt guy or something because he's quite tall. So maybe he was doing predator stunts or something. Um, but no, he's the director. Aussie guy. There you go. You're welcome, world. Yeah. He did uh, like that 90s version of Lost in Space as well and Blown Away. Oh. And on TV he worked on 24 and Californication. So he's doing things. Oh, uh, yes, things. that's right. Um, yes. Side note, everyone should watch – uh, the making of Predator 2 because Gary Boosie in it is amazing. Uh, but more on <laughs> really? that later. Uh, ultimately, what you got there is you got yourself a picture, Bish Bash Bosh, rap party at the Viper Room uh, because we're in LA after all. Indeed. Let's play the trailer. Los Angeles, 1997. It's the hottest summer on record. Pollution is choking the city. The gangs control the streets. It has not been a nice day! As bad as things are, they're about to get worse. Much worse. Whoever killed him is going to pay. I'm going to finish it. It has almost no weight. But it cuts like steel. Incredible. Whoever did this took out four men armed with machine guns by hand. You don't know what you're dealing with. Other world life forms drawn by heat and conflict. (laughs) He's on safari. Lions. Tigers. The bears. Oh, my. Glover, Gary Busey, Ruben Blades, Maria Conchita Alonso, Bill Paxton. Predator 2. He's in town with a few days to kill this Thanksgiving. Fuck, that's fucking great. <sighs> He's in town with a few days to kill. Man, that is, oh, what a trailer. That seems like a fake trailer yeah. that should play in that the Grindhouse double feature in Tarantino and yeah. Rodriguez. Like that's fucking great. Even just that trailer that itself great, is That was art. a great trailer. Fuck. Oh, yeah, man. I'm pumped. <laughs> I, I, I can't even like, I feel bad with my synopsis because that trailer was perfect. Oh, it was everything. It was everything it was, I <laughs> want to be in camp. <laughs> Uh, well, um, with with that uh, caveat, uh, would you mind taking us through the plot, Craig? Yeah, at a very high level I will. Um, yeah. So as you heard, LA is burning, burning, figuratively and literally. The sweltering heat, the, s- the steams. It's a sweaty movie. This sweaty, 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 schwitzer movie. Lord, 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 it's harder than the Dickens. Uh, <laughs> And there's another kind of fire out there, Tristan. Gunfire. Oh. Ratatata. Many bullets. There's lots of shooty bang bangs. Uh, bullets are raining across this sweltering, sweaty urban jungle. And there's a three-way shootout. You've got the Rusters, the Colombians, and the cops. 
All being observed by a familiar foe high above the treetops, I mean buildings. <laughs> and so our Preddy starts taking out the baddies. Uh, the cops can't figure out what's happening, but they know something's up. Murtaugh's getting close, but pesky Gary Busey keeps cop-blocking it. <laughs> uh, and Preddy has a bit of a crush on Murtaugh, it seems. Um, keeps to the voyeurism at its best. So they sort of juke it out, uh, and it goes longer than you'd expect. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it does kind of. There's, there's a bit in the middle where I thought it was like losing me, but it's only like 10 minutes or five to 10 minutes yeah, and then it's back. Yeah, but then it gets you back. Yeah, fully gets you back. I was like, I literally wrote in my notes like, oh, okay, this is, maybe this is why it's shit. It dies at this point. But no, it comes back, man. Yeah, it does come back. Greg, I love this movie. I fucking loved it. <laughs> good. I've uh, We've done a good job of... Not talking about this because I, yeah. I did really. You, more often than not, we tend to like the same things. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I'm with you, man. This was. It's I mean, it was far perfect. from perfect, but it was so much better. Oh, you think it's perfect? <laughs> you said it's far from perfect. Well, I don't think it's perfect. I, I think it it is perfect. I I got some more reasons that I'll elaborate on. I think it's imperfections just Part work for what it term. is. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'll elaborate on that a little bit later, but uh, I wasn't expecting it to be good. Yeah, I wasn't. exactly. This is like the turnaround story of the century for double impact, at least. Like, <laughs> this is the first time I think we've done something like this, where something we both kind of well, even just culturally, everyone says this is the shit one. I know there is a bit of a swing back, and it's a bit of a cult. Yeah, thing there's now, a bit but, of love for it out there. I discovered. Yeah, but, and we obviously saw with our with our chat page people yeah it's a bit of love from the group but you know on the record the the official story out there is this is a, not a good movie but man it's Wrong. fucking great it's great it's fucking the mood great. it's the mood it's perfect it's, sweltering. it's so perfect it's got the music and I, yeah and like i said i don't think we've ever done a movie that has turned out to be awesome when we thought it might be shit like i I and a lot of people, happened. yeah, well, there's, there's probably a bunch of people going, yeah, dude, everyone knows. <laughs> well, we didn't. Yeah, and well, and, and I mean the Rotten Tomato scores and shit, right? Like not that we always agree with that, but it's not just us that thought it was shit previously. People did. So I, I get the critics not loving it, but also not. No, I actually, don't know. I don't think, get that actually. Yeah, you know, I'm with you. It's, I mean basically all my notes for this episode are, are reasons why I think it's great. And I and you know I'm no and another thing I'm no Roger Ebert's but I think I've got some pretty strong rationale from a critical point of view as to why this movie is fucking awesome, <laughs> fucking awesome. Because <laughs> <laughs> actually, going into this, I think we've talked about this before. I always thought Predators was the one that is maybe the truest sequel uh, until this week, of course. <laughs> well, until I saw Prey mm. as well. Um, mm. Not that I thought that movie was great, but at least conceptually I thought, okay, well, if you're going to do a sequel to a movie like that, like we said in Back to the Future 2, sometimes a good sequel is to invert the premise of the first one. So Back to the Future 1 goes to the past. Back to the Future 2 goes to the future. Terminator 1, Arnie's bad. Terminator 2, Arnie's good. Predator 1, one predator comes to Earth. Predators, bunch of humans go to Predator Planet. That makes sense conceptually to me. Mm. But I take that all back now because this is the perfect sequel and it was right under my nose the whole time. It's perfect. Yeah. They did, 
you know, put him in a new environment. Yeah. Build on the story of the Predator, like what they're about. It's exactly. all there for you. Yeah, it's in terms of like I, I do think it's been handy doing a few sequels in a row because to that point, Greg, you just start to, to you start to understand a little bit better what makes a good sequel. And that's a huge one. Like expanding the lore a little bit without going too crazy. Yeah. Like maybe not yeah. Matrix Revolutions or some shit. But you know, giving us a bit more. Just giving um, you a ha. Huh. Yeah. Uh, huh. And it comes quite late. Yeah. Like you're sort of piecing it together and then it gives it to you. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. I also think sequels in the city are pretty good from rural to city. Uh, babe 2, Pig in the City. <laughs> <laughs> um, I know it's not a movie but Resident Evil 2, you know, the first one's in a mansion in the, in the forest or whatever and the second one's in the city and it's like, oh, we get to go to the city now. Um, oh. And I thought Crocodile Dundee 2 but. No, he goes to the city in the first one, as we found out. But yeah, I always thought the second one was yeah. the city. But yeah, um, yeah, it's a, it's a, yeah, yep, 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 yep. It's it's like a logical, in in like a tropey way, but a fun tropey way that the sequel is like, oh, let's send him to the big city. Like that works for me. I love that. Yeah, the urban jungle. Yeah, you know that's beautiful, beautiful, um, and just it's so sweaty and so gritty. And uh, so over the top, it's almost like a Verhovian picture, you know? Yeah, it's got that dystopian satire yeah. thread through it. It's so um, over the top, like, yeah. Man, I actually thought they could have gone harder on that because they sprinkle it in and it's great. Yeah. But they yeah. could have, like, there's probably a, a version of this film that's more like District 9 than Robocop, you know? Yeah, yeah. And uh, because there's a few scenes, maybe this is what you're thinking of too, is like when they – it almost shows what happens when everyone has guns. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Because I've seen people make the argument, I mean, obviously I have because I'm a human and I exist in 2022, but you know how like after a shooting someone says like, well, this wouldn't have happened if the good guys had guns. But if everyone has guns. More guns. Exactly. Then it's just the wild, wild west, man. <laughs> like, <laughs> and like that the train scene on this and everyone pulls out guns, like it's just insanity. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it almost feels like, uh, yeah, like satire in a Verhovian kind of way. Yeah, it's that's very astute on your part. It's very astute on your part. You could have just pushed this a little bit further into that space. Yeah, I reckon they could have. I love that shit. Yeah, yeah. There's also something, uh, this isn't really there in the text, but I'm definitely bringing this to it. It's interesting watching the first half of this movie because obviously we know it's a Predator, but they don't really know what it is and they're like, cops and detectives and shit, and ultimately something is killing these bad guys. So it's almost like mm. Batman. <laughs> Batman doesn't really kill, but, you know, Spawn. Is there like some vigilante out there like cleaning up this town? Yeah. that's a- It could have been fun if they explored that a little bit because he even perches on top of buildings and gargoyles like, like Batman and Spawn. Indeed. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. very true. Very, uh, it's an astute on your behalf, Tristan. Oh, thanks, man. It's very astute on your part. It's very nice of you. Very generous. Thanks, Frank. Um, but man, I mean, this is a fucking great movie. The cast. I forgot. I forgot Paxton was in it. I forgot Boosie was in it. Yeah. Um, like I said, Boosie is the MVP of the making of. You got to watch it. <laughs> you know, I, I I got in a car accident. I know he died. I went to the other side. I saw things. You know, this guy. Now <laughs> he talks about like. All kind. He talks about it as if there's elements of this that are true. Yeah, it's like yeah. I understand this. 
<laughs> this is <laughs> it's so weird. <laughs> December 4th, 1988, at 1.15 in the afternoon, I hit the concrete going 45 knots. And I had some out-of-body experiences, and I went to the other side. So there's a real curious element in what is out of this world, and we're just merely a speck in the whole thing. We're going in after another world life force from another galaxy that has a self-defense mechanism that we don't understand. It's intangible to this time and space. It's actually from the theory of relativity and from the theory of quantum mechanics. Take those properties and equalize them, and you have the quantum theory of gravity, which is the discussion of how this universe started and how it will end. The predator knows that information already. It is our job and our objective to go capture the predator, sit him down, have a talk with him, find out why he does what he does, how he does what he does, and where he gets the weaponry and the defense mechanisms he uses in order to obtain his goal. And that is our goal. If we don't achieve that goal, we will be turned into vapor clouds made of small pink particles known on Earth as blood. <laughs> it's amazing. And actually, in the making of, he, he elaborates. I don't know if this was in the movie. I can't remember. But he he talks about in the making of that it, in in the story, in the narrative within the film, Arnold's character died nine months after the events of the first film. I don't know why. Oh. Yeah. Oh. I, I, and I guess apparently the events of the first film are what his character is based on, like learning from that and that kind of shit, I guess. I guess. I guess. Yeah. Well, I've got a kind of a laundry list of things I love about this movie. Or, or, or no, <laughs> my, my I've kind of gone through the, the more bits and pieces y stuff, but I've got some bigger themes. Would you indulge me? Uh, indulge. Okay, so Prey came out a few weeks ago. We both watched it. We both loved it. Good movie. Great movie. Yeah. Um. And a lot of a lot of what I've heard critics say about that movie, I think equally applies to this. Like a lot of people saying the director slash writer Dan Trachtenberg, is that his name? I think it is. Um, he's cracked the code on what a Predator sequel should be. What code? You know, the oh, you just take Predator and you throw him into different time periods and settings, and oh yes, I would say different genres. But I would say that's what this movie does. And like we said last time, that's what the first movie does. I think that was one of the first um, nuggets that made me reflect on this movie differently was when we did Predator 1, watching that with Fresh Eyes a couple of years ago when we did it. Yeah. It it really stood out to me. I never really noticed before to what extent it basically was a not generic, but I guess classic tropey lap pack movie for the first half, almost the entire first half. There's a whole war going on and then Predator shows up like halfway through. So it's like that's Predator entering a lap pack movie, uh-huh. you know. Prey is Predator entering a period movie, you know. Yeah. And Predator 2 is Predator entering a fucking uh, a, a gritty cop detective movie. Uh-huh. Like in the same way that Predator 1 has all the tropes of a lat pack movie, i.e. lats and sweat and <laughs> <laughs> and in all, all of them, like fucking everything, huge guns that are meant for helicopters held by Jesse Ventura, all these things. <laughs> <laughs> um, this movie has all those things. 
it has the you know the the angry chief or whatever. It has the FBI guy who's the same FBI guy from Die Hard. Yeah. It has Bill Paxton's character who basically, I imagine he thinks he is Axel Foley in this movie. You know, the one that transfers over and is like a wise ass. Like he thinks he's the main character of this movie. But it's got all like the classic tropes of a, a detective movie, a cop movie, a like yeah, a Verhoeven movie like we'll say. Like it kind of has all of that. So it, it is still meeting that criteria that people are saying is so great about Prey. Um, and, and I think it's great that Arnie's not in it because then it allows them to go all the way with this because you have Danny instead of Arnie, which, again, I think previously I always thought was a bit weird. But it works perfectly. There's no lats to be found in this fo- in this film at all. There's no lats. Danny's in pretty good shape. I mean, he's in good shape, don't get me wrong. But they could have given him a singlet scene at least, I felt. Yeah, that's true. I feel like they, they robbed him of his, of his um, guns moment. That's anyway, true, Go but on, it keeps sorry, it pure. It keeps it pure because it adheres more yeah. to the standard of a cop slash um, detective drama. So yeah, it kind of works. Predators just entered another genre. I dig that. I think it's fucking great. Yeah, um, I like. I'm with you. Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess maybe that's most of my points. <laughs> hey, hey, uh, give yourself an astute, Tristan. Yeah, but man, I think that that is that is the big one for me. Because if I think about now the Predator franchise and if that is the criteria for the Predator franchise, it's like this kind of postmodern sci-fi action film that it, series which is about a Predator, if you will, <laughs> entering different Hollywood genre films. That's fucking great. Because mm. then what you could go to a rom-com. Exactly. Well, I thought about that, but he won't kill anyone because no one's got a gun. I did make a list uh, of what he could enter, uh, though. Oh, I did yeah, think okay. about that, though. So I thought um, we kind of touched on this already. Um, I think the the key thing is because I think a lot of people, like I was saying, the critics are like, oh, he's cracked the formula. Now we just need to throw Predator into different situations. And I would caution that saying I think yes, as long as it brings like a new dynamic because you don't, you don't want to just see the same events unfold with a different, different backdrop. And again, I think the three we've been talking about do that. But yeah. I think you like a 60s vibe, Vietnam War could be good. Yeah, I'm um, going for that. Yeah, something in the future, like more traditional sci-fi, mm-hmm. you know, people with laser guns and shit and maybe flying cars. Um, Japanese samurai shit. Yeah. Inspired by an upcoming film we're doing, found footage genre. that could be good yeah and then uh, yeah i was trying to think of like more of a fun one like rom-com but yeah based on his his goddamn principles he won't murder anyone in a rom-com so but i was thinking based on that using that constraint greg what if there was a film where the predator inadvertently becomes the hero of the movie so if it's like a horror movie or a thriller and the predator ends up going for the bad guy, obviously, because the victims are all tied up and you know hostages or whatever. Yeah, he ends up saving them. Not, not that that's his intent, but there you go. The accidental hero predator that could be fun. Yeah, there you go. There's five movies for them to make right now. Oh, and another one was like a spy genre, maybe like a Jason Bourne slash Bond. That one feels like a stretch though. But the others, I think you could make all of them tomorrow. Green light. Let's fast track this one. Let's do it. Let's put yeah. Marvel. Uh, Ant-Man 7 on hold. (laughs) 
I mean, he could enter the Marvel Universe. Well, I think there, there was, I think there was a in the comics, it's crossed over with Batman. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Hey, um, uh, one little criticism or observation, and I haven't – this isn't fully formed. Oh, yeah. But there was some weird racial thing going on, like – because he's got his dr- – Predator has dreads. Oh, uh, yeah. And then there was a bunch of rasters in this doing voodoo stuff, but then it wasn't really connected. Really? Yeah. Well, but that's what I – that's what I kind of like, though, because all the stuff in the beginning of the movie is kind of unrelated. Like the fact that there's a gang war going on and there's no linkage, I kind of like. But do you mean more like the racial thing, the fact that it's like seen dreadlocks and that kind of thing? Yeah, there's something there. I don't know there's exactly there. what. I was thinking as well, like, shit, the gangs are all race-based. <laughs> this is pretty bad. Yeah. But, they're not, but they even it out because all of the good guys were different races too. Obviously, Danny Glover. Um, Danny Glover is amazing in this, by the he's way. He's so good. So good. I mean, they're all good. I talked, I touched on the cast, but we didn't really give him enough airtime, did we? Danny Glover is awesome. He, um, apparently he, he said out of all his movies, this and I forget the other one were the two that he felt like, I forget the word I read, but it was like the, the most powerful in, like he, he, was at his physical and like mental peak in right. making these movies. So he was like, I felt like the toughest guy in the world making Predator 2. He just said, I was so fit and I just, I was um, just mentally just plugged in. He felt like this was one of his best moments in his life, which is pretty cool. That is the aura. That's why I was like, yeah. get the rig out. Yeah, true. You know? It is out get at some a- point. Is that? Oh, okay. Maybe he just changes his shirt or something. I noticed. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> he also has a great hairline. It's like a zigzag, yeah. like like Bullrog from Street Fighter. Yeah. I, I really enjoyed that. Very cool. What did you take of um, Paxton's performance? He was like almost bad in the beginning. Like uh, it was almost like so over the top. But again, if you look at it through the lens of like, well, I'm watching a gritty, I'm watching the tropes of a gritty cop drama or cop thing it makes you get on board like it's it's almost cartoonish his character put it that way yeah it was it was but then uh, with him and Boosie and you know all the rest how there's these kind of characters that feel like they're going to be not the antagonist but like an issue they end up all being good eggs like even Paxton's character he's a he's a good cop you know yeah um, even though he's kind of a douche, he's a, at the end of the mm. day, he's, he's good people. <laughs> and Boosie too, he was only really trying to protect Danny from a predator. Mm. So I kind of liked that too. There was something nice about that. Yeah. And that all came together. What, what did you think of Paxton? Um, too much? Yeah, I think he like it feels like he calmed down in the role a bit more as the film went on. Yeah, yeah. So I think for me it was less about – me getting more used to him, I feel like he actually did calm down a bit. So it was a That's bit, interesting. I don't Maybe know, it's kind of hard to follow a little bit. That's true. That's a good point. Maybe it, maybe he did turn it down. Or I guess maybe once they realised there was an alien predator chasing them. <laughs> yeah. He had to focus a bit. <laughs> maybe that's it. Um, we also had Maria Conchita Alonso, who we remember from 
The Running Man. Yeah. Yeah. She's so, I mean, ass. they did pretty well on the old multicultural front with the cops. Again, it would yeah, have been really did. bad if all the cops were white and all these gangs, <laughs> you know, like that would have been yeah, fucked that would have been up. The worst. Um, who else have we got in there? Then there's some smaller performances. Yeah. I did take notice of that uh, of that reporter, the sort of the people need to know. And I think that was kind of touching into that um, dystopian satire, satire sort of thing that yeah. I liked. But they, um, So yeah, I looked true. up that guy, his name's Morton Downey Jr. And I was like, is that Robert Downey Jr.'s dad? It's not. Um, oh, that would be Robert Downey, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Touche, sir. Touche. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the wow. maybe it's his brother, his, <laughs> uncle, his cousin. Maybe. Yeah, Morton his cousin. and Robert are brothers. Yeah, 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 that works. There we go. That's a stoop. We got there. It's very stoop on your part. <laughs> so this chap, Morton Downey Jr., that – has a bit of presence on the screen in this in this film in a small oh, yeah. way. He um, he was yeah, he a was good. pioneer in junk TV. Now junk TV, I think, as I understand, is like um, Donahue, Springer. Yeah. Okay. So he's kind of playing a version of himself a little bit. Kinda. Basically. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. So he was a real pioneer in that space. I think. Maybe even the first. Um, Fuck. Also, like, also like Running Man, right? Because the host of Running Man was also yeah. like, a, yeah, there's some connecties yeah. there. Yeah, uh, because he, of course. Um, so I do, I do have a clip. I don't know if we want to listen to it, but it's just yeah, basically one of the. I think you can sort of just jump in anywhere just to get a vibe of the show. Oh, this is his show. Yeah. Okay. Cool. This is his show. So he only he only lasted a couple of years. You know, there's a problem in this country. Shut up a minute. Let me tell you something, all right? There's a problem in this country that really terrifies me. We keep spending more and more money publicly and privately, yet the crime rate keeps going up, especially in our inner cities. What's going on with the leadership in this country? In my opinion, nothing, all right? Because many of them aren't even really leaders, and some of us don't let the leaders be leaders. Next on the Morton Downey Jr. Show. Jerry, Jerry, Al Sharpton on there. So why is Al Sharpton on there? That that whole genre is fascinating. The evolution of that genre, because it yeah, that would be interesting to do de- something de- on de-evolution. De- yeah, yeah, basically because they, they started quite serious, like almost just like a panel type show. Let's speak to some experts about some stuff. Yeah, some extremists. <laughs> yeah, you had. Oprah, Sally yeah. Jesse, Le- Ricky Lake, Jerry Springer, Maury Povich, blah, 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 blah. vomit. Yeah. Trash, pure garbage. <laughs> actually, that just reminded me because that was from 1988, that clip. Um, big year, actually, that year. But that clip was from 1988. And I was thinking, you know, when it's a film that it was made in one year and set just several years later, there must be, I was like, why, why, why? What was happening in 1990 that made them think that's what 1997 would be like? <laughs> um, yeah. And I guess one point on their side might be maybe they thought global worm- warming would happen a lot faster. You know, not bad. Astute on their part. Not bad. That's something. It's warm. Um, but I also, I know you looked into this previously when we did Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, which came out the same year, and noting that this was originally conceived as a New York 
setting. Um, homicides in New York were peaking in 1990. Oh, Peak. That's right. That's right. Peak. Um, for every 100,000 people in New York, 30 got murdered. That was the. Pretty crazy. Yeah. So five times higher than today. Um, I was reading this article about it that was reflecting on it and it was saying one of the precincts had this written down on their note board or whatever it was where they recorded these things. It said, you give us 22 minutes, we'll give you a homicide. Yeah. And there were all these quotes from people at the time saying it's an unwinnable battle, yada, yada, yada. So I guess it stands to reason that if you project that out seven years, you might think that's what the future is going to look like. I yeah, guess. Uh, for sure. I, I, had a, I, I didn't look at the numbers, but I shared the same thought, Tristan, as I watched. Yeah. It was uh, well. You got me onto that because you had you had some numbers on that when we did the, the did, turtles did one. Numbers for I the, can't for remember the what tim- they were. Tim- tim- t- yeah, <laughs> it was it was high. Yeah, stakes. Is it's high. interesting because also the articles I found when I was looking this up were actually written recently because there's been a lot of um, um, fear mongering in New York of late that it's so dangerous now and you know it's. It's post-COVID and it's, oh, yeah. oh, it's a scary time in New York. And actually, if you look at the data, no, it's not at all. It's still the, all these crime rates are still, they're slightly higher than they were pre-COVID, but they're still the lowest they've been in decades kind of thing. Yeah. Overall. Have you seen that book, Factfulness? No. It's a TED Talk guy. He's a Swedish, I don't know, I don't know what he's, he's a statistician, I guess. I don't know. Um, and he basically plot, plotted all this data because <clears throat> basically to, to debunk um, popular um, misconceptions. Right. And there's a heap of them really are a positive spin on, well, people say the world's in bad shape, but actually the trends of, you know, life expectancy, poverty. Um, right. All the, all the sort of major ones, um, uh, the state of the world is, is you know, exponentially better than it was 20 years ago, um, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, it's interesting because also this one, I mean, I guess it all makes sense why. Uh, we don't need to get into too much critical theory around media and shit. But, yeah, they, this article had something about because the recent um, mayoral elections and fear-mongering use and that, it showed some kind of trend line that it was as soon as that, as soon as one of the candidates was had this campaign around like, it's a scary time in New York. You know, time to change mayors, kind of thing. The the fears of the civilians had gone up like yeah, crazy. Oh, a bit of vote. Irresponsible, man. Yeah. Because you know all those things are related, and more fear equals probably more reactiveness to shit that doesn't even need to be reacted to, and you know, <laughs> cops being racist few, and shit. You know, like send out a few predators though. Clear yeah, up the streets. Good time for a predator to show up. Where do we where do we land with predator? What's your take out of predator of old Preddy after this one? Do you think he's not such a bad guy, or do you think he's a bad guy? Where where are you at with Preddy's this <laughs> film? That's interesting. Um, I think he. I like that he has a code, which I think we get to see a bit more of in this. I thought you were going to say something like. I like that he had that throwy thing. <laughs> <laughs> I like his net. His net's pretty badass. I like that he has a code. Like, did he not kill that woman because she was pregnant or something? I believe so. Yeah. Also, caveat, we watched this like two weeks ago now, so I'm forgetting some details. I had yeah. that in my notes and I couldn't quite remember what that yeah, was. Yeah, the main uh, the main girl. She was pregnant. Yeah, right? Yeah. Mm. So that's quite cool. Um, 
and, and they doubled down on that, I think, in the in Prey as well. So I kind of like that. Yeah. Um, I guess I would put it. I put it to you, Greg. Would <laughs> <laughs> thanks, Jimmy. Is a human hunting uh, any trophy animal also a bit of a jerk? Wow. Mm. Yeah. Is he eating these people? I don't think he is. He's just despining them and he put them in his trophy cabinet straight to the pool room. Yes, that's a very good point. It's not for sustenance. Yeah, exactly. And so I like uh, the ending of this is great. I think this is the perfect balance, again, sequel-wise, to expand the law in a way that, you know, it, it adds some context even to the first movie. Like you rewatch the first one. I think we knew in the, even in the first one, right, because he doesn't kill the woman. But – it's but it expands it a bit further, yeah. And um, I, I dig that. And the ending is pretty fucking cool. You see a few different predators. Um, you see a gun, xenomorph skull. The gun. And the gun. Says, I've been here for, we've been here for a long time, champ. And the gun was in Prey, right? Oh. I didn't pick up on it either. I only heard about it after. But that, Oh, that's good. So I was listening to a, a podcast interview with the director of Prey. Oh, nice. Which is really awesome. They talked about all kinds of stuff. But that was as he was formulating the idea for the film, he had this idea of like a period piece kind of thing. How far back yeah. should I go? And then he remembered the gun from Predator 2 and he was like, I'll set it that year. And the gun is in it. It's the gun she gets. But it doesn't oh. quite make sense. Well, I guess somehow the Predators end up getting that gun. But she had it at the end of the movie. So I don't know how they end up getting it. But it was from one of the French guys or whatever they were. Yeah, um, the trappers. The um, yeah. so yeah, context for 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 people because so I've realised we're just talking about it. The um, mm. at the end of Pretty Two, um, Danny defeats a predator, and then the other predators come and get the dead predator, and then they and they have a dance. They're just like it's like respect, Danny. Here's a, <laughs> and he gives him this pistol, and it's like an it's an antique pistol from yeah. yesteryear. Yeah, and then. It's from, and then they weave it into the story of prey. It's that nice. Not, that's awesome. That's good. We like. It's that. a good little. It's a nice thing because it it does add meaning if you notice it, and if you don't notice it, it doesn't really matter. Mm. It's just like a, it's good. It's a. It's a little. Is that an Easter egg? Is that what they call? Is that that's an Easter egg? It is an yeah, Easter yeah. egg. Yeah, yeah. But also, yeah, good For good podcast episode of the the film podcast. Go listen to it. Um, they talk all about – they talk to the director for like an hour about this shit. It's really cool. Nice. That's all i got, bro. Um, me too. Oh, one quick shout-out to Liquid Nitrogen making an appearance once again in a 90s action movie. Oh, yeah. Rude not to. Yeah. Uh, anyway, let's get into the verdict, shall we? Let's do it. I don't know what to say, really. I don't remember asking you a goddamn thing. I'd like an answer to the question, Judge. I want to have them answered immediately. You can't handle the truth. What are you waiting for? Ah! Say what again? Say what again? I dare you. Nothing further. Your Honor. And that's all I have to say about that. Uh, uh, friends, we, we realized, we're editing the podcast the other week, and we realized actually it would make more sense to deliver our final thought after our little verdict tests. And we should reorder those tests because some of them are more meaningful than others. Some are just funny. 
Um, so why don't we start with effects test, Greg? Where do we think this one sits? I think it's pretty good. Yeah. Uh, I can't think of anything terrible. Can you? I can't. It's been a while now. I didn't love Predator, the suit. I liked the Predator in the first one better. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. I think even in Prey I had a similar thought. Like it, it looked like a man in a suit a lot. Yeah. It doesn't ruin it for me, but it, yeah, it does feel a little. It feels a little too um, human or something. Yeah, it's a bit too know. nipple on the old Batman for me. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good way to put it. Um, I still give it a pass, but as it is a good, it's a good point. Um, Pointy. Good point. Um, this is a new one because I felt like we didn't have enough to just talk more broadly about you know, components that hold up or not. So uh-huh. does 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 anything in this fundamentally break when you look at it through the lens of current day? Um, I think to your point it was maybe teetering on some some racial things, but I guess it wasn't. We've definitely seen a lot worse. Um, yeah, it wasn't overt. Yeah, it wasn't overt. And actually speaking of, I've, uh, uh, under the bucket of representation, thought we could do Bechdel test, which we've always done, but I was looking it up. I, I googled, "Is there a race equivalent of Bechdel test?" And I, people just do the Bechdel test, but replace female with person of color, and the test is still valid. Oh yeah. So Bechdel test, no, it doesn't pass. But the race version of the Bechdel test, it certainly does. So yeah. uh, people of color, all pretty much everyone except Bill Paxton in this is not white, and they talk about things to each other that aren't about white men. So there you go. They're about predators. That's a pass. That's that's a good pass. That's a good pass. Um, cultural relevance. Did Simpsons do it? Technically, not this not this specific film, but they have done Predator. Yeah. Same goes for porn parody. I don't know if there's a specific Predator two porn parody. This. But I guess in broader terms of cultural relevance, you have got to give it some some big points um, for its direct connection to Prey. I feel like that's kind of pulled it out of the mud and into the limelight a little bit. Mm. Um, so yeah, I guess the, that's that's our first attempt at a new way of doing our little evaluation criteria. Uh-huh. Yeah, all in all, for me, man, I love this movie. I love it, and and I think uh, in my mind, Predator One, Predator Two, and Prey are a pretty great trilogy to look at. They they hang together quite nice. Mm. Not bad at all. What do you think, Gregory? Yep, I was pleasantly. Surprised by this film, it had a lot more, a lot more going on than I had expected. It was a vibe, which is an expression I don't like to use too much, but it was. It was a yeah. Did you do any recasts or anything? No, I was thinking on that, but I think it's just like uh, without. I think to recast, you'd have to do a repitch. Like if you did the samurai one, who would it be? Or if you did the sixties war one, what would it be? Maybe because this is a pretty perfect cast. It's kind of. Of the time. There's even a bald one in there, apparently. Someone said in a Facebook. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, oh, actually, before I forget, I should have said this earlier. I'm actually guesting on another pod um, in a couple of weeks. Nice. Um, the Action Action Podcast. They do action movies and rank them. They've got a mega ranking going. And I'm going to be covering Predators. So very much ah. on theme. I don't know the exact release date, but I think it's a week or two from now. So there you go. Right, so make well, sure we'll... you go listen to that for the full story. Yeah, Give it a plug at the top of the next app. Absolutely we will, yeah. Um, MVP? Uh, Danny for me. Danny boy, absolutely. He was great I in this movie. I concur. 
Wonderful. Absolutely. Uh, I like that man. I like Danny Glover. Always did. He's great. He's always kind of whispering. I he came to Australia. I remember I saw him on you know it might have been Hey Hey or something of a couple of interviews, and he just seems like the nicest guy. Yeah. Just like happy. Yeah. Uh, so I was. I didn't really talk about this in the app. I was just always was a massive Danny Glover fan as a kid. I mean, I love Lethal Weapon so much. So um, that's probably a big part of it. But yeah, he's just, a, he just seems like a nice dude. And now he's in like Wes Anderson stuff and yeah, because he had, yeah, I don't know, man. And he's he's, he's, a, he's, a he's obviously older, but like when was Lethal Weapon one? Like eighty eight or eighty six or something? I don't know. Yeah, maybe. And 86. he's saying then he's too old for this shit. Yeah, how old was he? He must then? have been like twenty eight or something. How does that <laughs> fucking work? <laughs> uh, it's fucked up. Yeah, he's probably definitely younger than we are now. And he had like <laughs> yeah, absolutely grown children. All right, well, with that, friends, we'll see you next week. It's the end of Sequel September. Any, oh, yeah. any, part, any, any final musings on Sequel September? Well, I think well, – well, 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 I think <laughs> if, if I <laughs> – well, um, of the three we've done, this Put you has on the spot. to be – this has to be – I don't say – I wouldn't say this is the best sequel. It's definitely not the worst one of the three. But it is definitely the surprise hit of the uh, the three films we've yeah. done. Yeah. What did we do? Back to the Future 2, this, and what was the other one? Beverly Hills Cop 2. Oh, yeah. Which was fine. <laughs> it was just fine. Yeah, that was, I reckon, Beverly Hills Cop 2 wasn't as good as I remember. Yeah. This was be- in, like a lot better than I remember and Back to the Future 2 was kind of where I remember it. Yeah. Probably. Yeah, exactly. That's kind of it. And I think uh, as we've started to well, – I think what's started to unfold as we've gone through these is getting a bit more solid on what might make a good sequel, which has been mm. interesting to do. You know, yes. Not just copy and paste, not going too crazy with over-explaining things. But, yeah, expand the law, up the stakes, you know, that's kind of fun. I th- and I think that that's kind of the trend at large because there's a lot of instances – where sequel or sequels or you know follow films that are coming out now have cut out the shit and mm. are just doing their sequel based on oh, I'm just going to do the sequel from the first one, yeah, or the second one or whatever they like the Halloween one. Oh, sorry, I see what you're saying. Yeah, 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 yeah. True. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they they and Friday the Thirteenth did it as well, didn't they? And they make it. Some, who else has done it? That's, Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Blair Witch did it. Blair Witch did it. There you go. Well, we'll chat on that in moments. Probably we're covering that soon. Yeah. Put, tap your ruby slippers together, guys. It could happen. <laughs> All right. We'll see you next week, guys. Leave a review. Take care of yourselves and each other. Yeah. Bye. And each other. Talking publicly about it for the first time, Van Winkle describes a terrifying night in his suite at a Beverly Hills hotel when he says Suge Knight showed up with six other men. Roughed one of my bodyguards up, they roughed everybody else and my whole entourage up. 
stood, took me out on the balcony, started talking to me personally. On the balcony, on the balcony, high above, like 15 floors. He had me look over the edge, show me how high I was up there. You scared? <laughs> I needed to wear a diaper on that day. <laughs> I was very scared.